Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of sitting down with 2016 presenter and Oklahoma football performance manager, Sam Code. Today, guys, we're just basically going to sit down and talk about what the role is of a performance manager. You know, these are newer positions in this country, things that are, are kind of sexy right now when you look at everything that they do with all the technology, monitoring, GPS readiness, all that stuff. But I think it's something that a lot of people really don't understand their actual role and what they do. So this was a really neat talk. We start right from the beginning, you know, the inception of his role and, and how it was developed. Then we get into uh, the role's evolution, you know, um, basically from the inception of the job to the entire length of the season and now entering the offseason slash spring ball prep, which is really cool to me. I mean, not being a football guy to hear this side of it, I thought was really interesting. He talks about step one and step one being identify what the norm is when we're talking about training. You know, people want to modify and change and do all these things, but you have to understand what what's the norm. Like, where, where do these guys start with their training? What are they actually doing before you start making these moves? And then he talks about, you know, the 5% increases, looking at distances covered and speeds covered with these runs and conditioning workouts, speed workouts, whatever it may be, and, in, and looking to increase by 5% each week. He talks about the role of recovery and, uh, you know, his hows and whys of how it's programmed, which is pretty interesting. You know, he, he has a different approach to it, which I think is really cool. Um, and then we get into where the future of this position could go. It's really, really a fascinating talk, guys. It really was uh, extremely candid, open. You know, Sam didn't hold any punches. It was, uh, it was really awesome. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Sam, thanks for being on with us today, bud. Yeah, no problem, Jack. So let's kind of get right to it. You know, you've been now down there in Norman for about eight months. Yeah, just so, a little over. Yeah. yeah, so let's talk about, let, let's talk about the position. And let's kind of start back in the summer when you came on board, and let's talk about how the role started there and then just rolled through the year. Yeah, so uh, back in probably about March of last year was when I first met uh, the Director of uh, Athletic Performance here at Oklahoma, Coach Jerry Schmidt. And uh, we went through a process of talking about what he was looking to do here at Oklahoma with performance sciences and sports sciences. And he sort of talked to me about what my background was and what he thought I could bring to the team. So uh, after that, I was actually hired in May of last year, uh, which is funny enough when I met UJ out in Austin, was, that was when I'd just been hired to come to Oklahoma. So, uh, so I came down here. And in the, uh, the summer, we sort of, they'd just taken in a, a new GPS system, the stat sports system. So my primary role starting out was uh, one, getting to know everyone down there, and two, implementing a 50-person uh, GPS system. So we were monitoring 50 guys through the summer right off the bat. So that was the first role uh, that I took on. And from there, I mean, my job title is performance manager here. So it sort of integrates between the technology side of sport and then the strength and conditioning side. So I'll be in the weights room with the athletes for every session as well as taking information from them when they're out on the practice field and then uh, when we conduct recovery and uh, fatigue monitoring, I also take care of all the technology we're using there. So, Well, that's pretty awesome. So let's talk about then, you get there 
right after May. So yeah. let's talk about the initial phase of it. What exactly were you doing in the summer? I mean, yeah. 50 cats is a lot of guys. Yes, it is, <laughs> especially when you don't know all their names as well. <laughs> Makes it very interesting. So, uh, so initially what we started doing was uh, quantification of training there. So, you know, we would, whenever our guys would be out running, we'd have a look at what our sessions entailed and we'd break down the different drills we'd do. So we'd have our linear speed days where we'd sort of accumulate running volume and then other multi-directional days where they'd be doing a little bit more plyometric and change of direction work. So we'd quantify the distances and amount of explosive work as well as high-speed running they were doing from week to week. The first two or three weeks starting there when you've got that many units on, a lot of it is data collection and just assessing what you're looking at and seeing what the progressions are from week to week. So one of the guides that I sort of give to coach me is not to not to overload by more than 5-10% for each individual athlete. So we'd have a look at any one of our athletes' weekly running loads as well as high intensity loads and explosive effort loads and from there say okay next week we want to shoot for about this much and then plan our uh, plan our running drills around that so it was from week to week in the summer a lot of it was looking at how much they were doing early just to get a to get your feet on the ground and know what a session looks like a lot of the and working with coaches who hadn't had that much experience with the GPS units before that is something that you need to help and work with because they're planning the sessions and they need to understand what the difference is between a, you know, a, a rapid explosive effort where they don't actually hit a high speed and what high speed running is versus a lot of other different metrics that the GPS units can give to you. So that was initially through the summer what we looked at yeah, and just quantifying week to week loads. That's fantastic. And then how, how accurate were you guys able to be when you're looking at quantifying that 5%, you know, increasing by that, that amount. Yeah, so the initially for the first three or four weeks, we probably weren't as on track as we'd like to be. And, and as I said, that's probably more because we were just trying to get our feet on the ground. We went away for our 4th of July break and came back. And I, I feel those, we had about three or four weeks after the 4th of July break where we did a really good job of progressing our guys from a, you know, five or six day period where they were away to when they left us from summer conditioning with a 10-day break going into fall camp. I really think we set ourselves up well with progressions all the way up to the final week where they were probably on the edge of, of, of being ready for a good rest. And that was, for us, what we saw when we came back into camp is our guys were pretty, pretty fit when it came to how much running they could do in a session, which I, I think throughout camp we found we had pretty minimal injuries when it came to soft tissue and... Uh, you know, uh, small niggling injuries, which is really good. And, and our coaches sort of noted that the guys were able to get through most of the sessions in a pretty good fashion, which I think we can attribute to to the weeks before in the summer where we sort of built a good platform. Yeah, I mean, it's the the preparation always leads to the the success, you would think. So then, moving into camp, how does that role alter? So uh, initially, obviously, I was just working with our strength and conditioning staff because uh, obviously in the summer we have more control over what is happening with the exercise that our athletes are doing. Uh, then leading into camp, I started to work more with some of the coaching staff uh, and just giving them and more actually asking and explaining to them what we can do with it and what they would like to see. We kept our, our feedback to our coaches very simple and just showed them day-to-day 
um, training load, uh, running loads. We kept it quite simple there, and then sort of had a running total going throughout the camp, so that they could get information on that. And you know, we provide daily feedback to them, so it became more of a working with uh, our coaching group as well as the strength staff on what we were doing from a running point of view. Uh, and one of the good things was is that the way that we practiced was very consistent so it really helped us when it came to, to building you know we had a chance to get them fit and then through camp they had a, a good consistency of what they were doing which I think held us in good stead going into the season so that's really neat and then did those numbers and that information ever lead to looking at different days or different sessions or even planning when you guys would do a double yeah, not 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 in the first season, no. And I think that's a lot to do with where you are as a program. If you're in the first year of using it, you're not always going to make wholesale changes to a program. You know, and a lot, lot of successful programs are successful for a reason. And I think that's something that you can say here at Oklahoma is that they've been successful for a long time. Coming in here, what I did notice is they actually had a very good way of structuring their training leading into a season. It wasn't wasn't if things had to be made, big changes had to be made. A lot of what we used the information for was when we could implement recovery strategies for our guys. So if we noticed, you know, uh, the second week of camp, we had a few guys that had gone up a lot in their training volumes. They might have been getting more reps uh, compared to the other guys in that second week. We just started to implement a few different recovery strategies individually with those guys. So we sort of took it. Uh, not having to change what the coaches wanted to do, but individually sort of assessing those guys and giving them ways to try and recover a little better based on the numbers we were seeing. So Now, there are some people that base their recovery modalities off of readiness, and they mm-hmm. look at you know sympathetic, parasympathetic balance with what they yes. would do. How does the GPS help influence those decisions? So for me, the GPS is, is really the front side of it. So if I'm looking and I've done a little bit of research on parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system recovery in athletes, and one of the things that trying to quantify why that stress is causing changes in parasympathetic sympathetic balance uh, is, is difficult. Sometimes it's not to do with the, the training that they're actually doing or the exercise load, but using the GPS to actually gather that information and say, okay, it hasn't got anything to do with the exercise load is, is one key step in knowing why an athlete isn't recovering well. So, for example, uh, you know, if, you, if you've got an athlete who comes and does a standard week that's consistent with what they've been doing for the previous four, so no real variations in their running loads and there's something that's off on their recovery balance for uh, their nervous system, you can start to make inferences about, well, is it to do with the exercise? Is it to do with external stresses away from the sport or what actually might be happening here as opposed to just looking at the recovery information and going, well, there's something wrong with recovery, but we're not sure if it's related to exercise stress or is it another form of stress that's causing changes? So that's, for me, that's, that's how we use the GPS is that quantification of the exercise stress load along with what we do in the weights room to say, okay, this is not this is consistent with what we've been doing from week to week, so why is there recovery change? Is it something else? Right, right. And then how did you prescribe those recovery modalities? We would, uh, 
we didn't have a super scientific way of doing it this season. A lot of it was we would sit down as a staff and sort of just go through each individual athlete and talk about them. And when it comes to recovery, I'm a big fan of it's a, almost like the sporting uh, idea of an 80-20 where a lot of it is upstairs as well in the head, making sure that an athlete is psychologically looked after and that if they are feeling forms of fatigue, working with them to try and alleviate some of the stress that they're perceiving in their mind. Obviously, there is a physiological component to what's going on, but I feel as though if you treat the psychological side of it individually with athletes, you can get pretty good results in recovery based on just treating that alone. So a lot of what we would do is find out what our athletes like to do recovery-wise. You know, I've seen a lot of programs that have uh, solid recovery interventions where an athlete must do 20 minutes of this, then 20 minutes of that, and then 20 minutes of the final intervention for their recovery program to be complete. Uh, I'm a little bit more along the lines of finding out individually what works for an athlete. Is it a little bit of mobility followed by an ice bath, followed by a normatex? Is it uh, a massage therapy session followed by some sort of relaxation, you know, nap in the afternoon? So that, that for me was what I worked a little bit more towards is in finding out what each guy liked to do recovery-wise and then when we noticed times that it was probably more required intervening and, and helping them out then. Yes, and I think that the whole idea of them, what they like to do, uh, you know, the whole placebo effect almost with it, I think is part of it, but on top of it, if they don't like to do it and they're stressing about doing it, Yes. Then it's counterproductive anyway, and it doesn't matter what monitoring system you're using. I mean, even a readiness questionnaire will show up if they're being honest. Um, so I think that that's an absolutely huge point when it because so many people worry so much about that. Like, should we cold tub or should we contrast? And it's like, how sure. many minutes should we do it for? It's it's all and there is relevance to it. There is a lot of relevance to it. But if your athlete is spending a half hour before the recovery bath stressing about getting in the recovery bath is that helping them or is that hurting them Mm -hmm. I I would go towards the other side I would say it's hurting them because you know you look at cortisol levels when someone gets stressed if they're stressed for a long period of time prior to doing something it's probably going to go up based on just their mental anguish around doing the recovery so yeah no doubt and there's and we all know that you know there's a million ways to get to Rome, right? I mean, if, you know, whether it's a a hard, intense massage or a cold tub, it's still going to help somebody that's pushing parasympathetic, you know? If it's an easy massage or the warm whirlpool, it's going to help somebody who's pushing sympathetic. So it's, I think that the whole idea of maybe giving them a list and being like, choose from the left side or choose from the right side might even be better than saying... Today, Craig has to go sit in the cold tub for 20 minutes, whether Craig wants to or not. Yeah, that was that, that was our thought around it. I mean, it's, it's working with the athlete for recovery. The, the whole idea of recovery is to help someone get better. It's not to stress them into feeling better. Yeah, so. yeah. You, you can't force them to feel better. That's long, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's... We- you know, you wish you could, but yeah. it's possible. <laughs> no doubt. So then you get through camp, and then you get into the regular season. Yep. So then how did this now evolve? 
so that, I guess the, the big component that evolved when we went in season was how much we uh, implemented uh, recovery and monitoring. So we would then start to actually ramp up what we were doing when we looked at different uh, monitoring strategies. Through camp, we did a little bit of it, but not as much. That's really, for me, in my thought, an adaptation phase of their training. Yes, we want them to recover enough so that they can go back and practice, but really what we're trying to achieve in that phase is physical adaptation so that they're ready to go for in-season. And sometimes I think it's probably we're probably a little bit over the top on how much is done in that camp period as opposed to how much is done in the first 21. So if you've got a 21-day camp, how much they're doing in the 21 days of camp versus the first 21 days of a season. I feel as though the exercise amount is probably a little higher in camp than it is in season, but you know that's that, that's something that has been debated for a while, and I know a few researchers who are looking at those demands at the moment to see how far or how much difference there is between those periods. But when we went in season, we really focused more on our monitoring recovery after games, and then also quantification of what they were doing in games. So we had a little bit of an understanding of how specific what we were doing exercise-wise at practice was compared to the game situation. So that was, having having done that a little bit in a previous job at Michigan, I uh, I had a little bit of understanding, but of course, you know, the, the more you see, the more you're going to be able to understand what the demands of, of gameplay are. So that was really helpful to, to see different, even a completely different style of offense and defense here played in the Big 12 and how that sort of, shows the numbers so no that's that's really awesome and then did that carry over into the weight room as well with your discussion with that coach yes a little bit yeah um so we would uh there were periods in the year where we might dial back the uh the program based on when we knew we played heavy games so you know we had a triple overtime game in in which case our guys did a lot more running than what they were accustomed to at which point we sort of dialed back some of the things that we were doing in the weights room leading into another game after that. And then we had a little bit of a period where we knew it wasn't as physically demanding and, you know, we might be able to ramp up what they were doing in the weights room for the back end of the season. So it was a little bit of toing and froing depending on what we thought was going to happen. But at the end of the day, a lot of what was done was what, you know, Coach Schmidt's done in the past. And, and he has a pretty good feel for what the team's doing taking away all the numbers he sort of has intuition that shows up when we're looking at the information he sort of knew what was going on just based on experience which you know a lot of technology really is just helping expert opinions so if you've got a, if you've got really good insight on your athletes sometimes the technology is not required right you can, you can tell that that was a heavier game or this one wasn't so yeah and then I guess my other question with that is looking at, because a lot of people look at football kind of just bigs, middles, skill guys. Yeah. In the season, how does that show up as, as being different, similar, whatever it may be? As in the, the physical demands for each position group? Yeah. Yeah. It is interesting. I mean, your wideouts, your, your defensive backs, those guys are obviously a lot heavier run load compared to even running backs, quarterbacks, uh, you know, linebackers, they have a little bit less on the running load, a little bit more on the collision load, which very understandable. And then you've got the 
final extreme where you've got the big guys who've got a very high collision load but might only run three or four thousand yards in a game and maybe only two or three percent of that's actually at high intensity you know there'll be a lot of explosive efforts but not a lot of that is you know moving at a high speed so that that sort of information did help us but probably not so much in season i think it'll probably more help us towards how we condition athletes in our winters and summers you know knowing that and observation would have told us all these things but knowing exactly how much each of these skill groups is going to have to do for for a high intensity game or for a very big duration game really helps us planning for each position group yes yes and i think that like you said, I mean, a lot of people that have been in the game know those things. But I think it would be very interesting to quantify it. You know, even if you're looking, like, at the big guys, like right side versus left side of the line, you know, like, do we know that we have a tendency to play more to one side or the other and that the guard and the tackle over there, maybe that's why they have shoulder problems and then, you know, the guard of the tackle on the other side that are pulling all the time, maybe that's why they're having ankle or, or groin problems. You know, like something like that I think would be really like, like almost like an aha moment for a coach, you know. Uh, now, I mean, of course, some guys just, there's some guards that just ain't going to be able to pull well, <laughs> you know. But yeah. th- I think that, that that kind of stuff would be the stuff that I would be like, oh, well, that's pretty neat. Yeah. And I mean, at the moment when it comes to this sort of stuff, I guess – there isn't very well advanced on how we're using the information. I mean, it's uh, recently, I think it was probably only three or four months ago, the first paper was published on quantifying what's actually done in a game of football. So, you know, that from using GPS technology. So that's, that's a big step forward, just knowing each position group, how far they run and how many explosive efforts they have versus how many collisions they have. So, you know, that's a starting point from there it really then can come down to individually how you want to look at the picture do you want to look at the picture as an overall how much are they doing collision load or is it do you want to get more intrinsic on it and look at individual athletes and how they change over time i I sort of stem towards looking at the individual athletes and and relatively how their collision and running loads change from Mm -hmm. week to week so instead of looking at you know uh a guard and a tackle and comparing their, their information, I'll compare the guard to themselves over time. A little bit similar how you do things in the weight room. I mean, you, you know that two people will have different strengths, say on a bench press, so you progress them at different rates and, and that's when you're in season, maintain them at different, uh, at different strength levels. So it's very similar when it comes to running in collision. If they're consistently able to do a certain amount of running and take a certain amount of collision, if that jumps up from week to week, then you might notice at that point, well, yeah, he's having more issues based on the fact that he's done 10% more running and had to go through 10% more collision compared to the week before. Yeah, no, and that's brilliant as well. I think that's, you know, it's always with the end of one. And I think that, that that's always the best way to look at it. But just me being the nerdy sports nut, you know, it would be like, well, this team tends to pull more to the left, and here's the actual statistics to show it. Yeah, you know, yeah. just because I'm a nerdy sport nut, you know. Yeah, like and numbers that's, are really I mean, cool. That's the next, the next level of it is then also taking it to the tactical side of things. Oh yeah, just getting the the physical data that you can 
and collect and running it with the tactical side of things. And that's, that's where the analytical component of what, what we're currently moving towards is interesting. I mean, you know, one of a, a PhD research project I was looking at doing was ha- trying to marry up uh, movement loads with physical performance, uh, physical uh, outcome scores. So they were like statistical, technical efficiencies and deficiencies during games, and then looking at how the nervous system responded. Didn't quite get to the point where I got it to work well enough for publication, but it was a really interesting concept to think that how those three, the recovery side, the actual performance side, and then the tactical side might all linking together. You might find that you have an athlete who does a lot less running but is tactically quite efficient and has very good recovery, whereas you have another athlete who, again, might not do a lot uh, running-wise, but then when it comes to the tactics, they might actually have a really poor game and that shows up in their nervous system recovery because they're really disappointed in technically how they did out on the field. Yeah, no, that would be some fascinating stuff right there. Yeah. So then moving to the next part of the season, you guys had a little bit of break there. Yes. Um, you know, just a little break. Just a little one, yeah. Um, let's talk about that, because that's one thing that I think a lot of people, unless you're in that area, those New Year's Bowls, like, to me, in basketball, I, I couldn't imagine, like, our break is like three days. I couldn't imagine going from like almost Thanksgiving-ish for a whole month in the middle of the season. It's difficult. They're in a they're at a certain level of fitness as well, and you've got to try and maintain that yeah. whilst giving them rest. I mean, it's uh, it's you do want to give them the break away because you've obviously at that point of the season, specifically with football, you've got a lot of niggling injuries and a little little things that guys aren't. They're carrying through the season, but at the same point, they've got a very good level of fitness going, uh, and to try and maintain that for a month when you you're not really getting any exposure to matches, yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult challenge. The only beauty is that everybody's in the same boat, so you, you've really just got to try and think about okay, well, they're used to running this certain amount of per week, so it might be. 15,000 yards a week is what they're used to running and we're going to have to try and get that in and then from a collision aspect that's where I found it really difficult is that these guys are used to undergoing two practice sessions a week where they're, they're getting a fair bit of collision going on and a lot of the time you can't really uh, you can't replicate that you can't you're either going to undergo collision or you're not undergoing collision so I mean it comes down to then you know getting them on the ground and getting them off the ground those sort of things that might closely replicate a collision, but still trying to keep them in that match-ready fitness state. So, it, it de- you're 100% right. It definitely poses a very difficult conundrum for, for coaches specifically. Yeah. How do you keep your athletes in shape for a month without playing football? Yeah. Yeah, I bet. And it's so. How do you see this role evolving in that four six week period? Uh, as in what we did in that four to six week period. Yeah, and, and where can you see it moving forward in that time? Yeah, I think that probably moving forward, it'll be trying to, to get better at understanding how much exactly they have to do and how many days off race they can have. And that even you know comes back to bye periods within the week. I mean, there is a tendency to give players you know four or five days off completely away from, from football, but 
the the thing is is then the next game they come back and one of the things you might notice is they're not running at the same intensity they did before they left so the, the question is 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 the four or five days off helping or hurting the athletes when it comes to their fitness and I understand you want to get them away mentally from time to time but it's you know getting to a point where you can say okay we can give them you know 72 hours away from the facility but we have to get them back running within 72 hours to make sure that they maintain their fitness and that would be my thoughts around it specifically in that four to six week period is how long can we give them away but still have to implement running on and running and collision based stuff happening within those four to six weeks so that they stay at fitness levels it's a yeah it's a very difficult question with that and it's actually something I haven't really experienced prior to coming over and being in college athletics because a lot of sports it's not it's not really that common to have you know a whole month and nearly month and a half off between games so yeah it is it's, it's almost crazy yeah you know it's and to expect it to be it's such a high level of performance it's such a you know it's a it's the word I'm looking for such a high reward area of the season. Exactly, isn't it? I mean, it's, yeah. <laughs> if it was a week or two, yeah, it might work really well because you'd get a little bit of time to freshen off and you'd probably keep them in a level of match fitness. But four to six weeks, yeah, yeah. You're almost, you'd almost have to start from the beginning if you give them too much time off, so. Yeah, no doubt. So now we're looking at going into spring ball. Yes. So what do you think these last eight months have done to help improve how you guys will handle the next 12? Yeah, I think uh, one of the the biggest factors for us that's really going to help us is knowing how to progress a little bit better when it comes to running loads. I mean, specifically in the winter, I mean, we're now able to, after after a daily session, sit down and go, okay, yeah, that that session was progressed enough for our liking or no, it was progressed too much. Maybe tomorrow we'll just have to take a few few different running drills out here and there or making slight modifications to the program so that we get that stepwise progression of our athletes I think from our point of view I think that's the biggest uh, step that we'll take and then sitting down with the coaches eventually and going through ways in which they think they can use this information to change their coaching I think when it comes to, to spring ball a lot of it will be about getting good consistent reps of football in so making sure that we strength coaches get them to a level where they can undergo a bit over a month of football without having to sustain, you know, long-term injuries or injuries that are going to keep them away from getting those practice reps that they're going to need for the upcoming season. That, that's our, I mean, for our goal is to have them fitness ready to undergo the reps that they need from a coaching point of view uh, to improve their skills for our football team. No, that's, that's really awesome. Now, did you guys... Is this where coach would normally start this level of intensity and volume with the kids coming back uh, into the spring? Would, would, was this like basically his his step one um, from the past as well? Yeah, it was very similar. A little, uh, we've made more modifications as we go now. So we're in second week. We've made a few modifications as we're going through just to make sure that we're you know progressing in the manner we'd like, and then you know. We obviously sit down from weekend on weekends after we've had a week and just assess where we're at and where we want to go from there. So, you know, it's really nice having get, getting to work with Coach Schmidt because he's obviously done it multiple times and, and knows exactly 
what the level is that they need to achieve when they get there. So the small the small modifications are really where I come in. He's got the he's got the game plan set down. It's really just him sitting down and saying, okay, was that too much or not enough? And, and that's where I come in and fill in some of the blanks. But it's really nice having that person who's done it for so long and no, it's not a guessing game for him. He's been through one national championships multiple times. He knows what it's going to take, but from time to time, it's just those small modifications. Right. And really, though, with, with the small modifications, it, it could end up putting you in a situation where you're even further ahead than where you've been in the past. And that's the I mean, that's the, the idea is that we're trying to progress it and, and get it to a point where it is really solid and it's sort of ironclad when it comes to how we get them from the day they come in for winter or summer conditioning to ready to go through camp for the coaches and, and get what the coaches need out because ultimately they they have a plan on how f- they want to get them football ready and, and the plays that they're going to have to play and making sure they're repped them well enough that they can perform them on game day out our goal is to have them fitness ready. So, yeah, and I th- but I think that's the one thing that people tend to uh, have the mistaken view of is that all of these monitoring technologies, whether it be the GPS or readiness or whatever it is, that they just seem to take away, take away, take away. But really, at the end of the day, you're trying to get them so that they can do more and more and more yeah. and come back at a higher level. No, I couldn't agree more. I sometimes, everyone says, oh, we should be doing less, we should be doing less. And I don't think it's less. I think we just have to structure it so that when they have to do more, they're ready to do more. It's right. not a, it's not that they need to do less. Or In some cases, it might be that they need to do less, but it's not always that case. And I think that's a mistake that people can make is just thinking that these monitoring systems are saying that we need to slow down and, you know, and, Athletes are going to get fatigued if you're working hard and you're pushing your limits. You, there is going to be fatigue, mm-hmm. but how you manage that is the real critical critical component. Is yeah. it that you give them a lot of time off and then they don't adapt to the level that they could be, or that you don't do as much work because you're scared of them being fatigued? I think that you can run into problems if you go that direction as well. So, you, I mean, at the end of the day, they're going to have to be prepared for what they need to be prepared for. But if you can structurally get it so that the progressions are smart and not too much, you should be able to combat those elements of fatigue that you're going to see a little better when they come along. Oh, no doubt about it. I think that that's an, an absolutely fantastic point. You know, that, that it is. It's, you gotta, you still gotta work, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you don't, someone else is, so. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. No doubt. But Sam, that, this has been an absolutely fantastic talk and a superb look into what you're doing down there and how you guys are building the program. And th- this is going to help a lot of people out because this is direction a lot of people are looking at, you know. And, and unfortunately, there's a lot of people that have to do that and be the strength coach at the same time. Um, <clears throat> not not anybody who may be in this conversation, um, but you know, it's it it. It is difficult, you know, and it is a lot. And uh, I really do appreciate you being so candid and open to, to sharing that, that information. No, no problem, Jack. I mean, that's, and I'll say from my point of view, I always see the, the sports scientists. I don't, a lot of people say, hey, you're a sports scientist, and I, I don't really like looking at it in that direction. I think that the element, you, you've got to be a good coach, first and foremost, when it comes to, to all this stuff that we're talking about today. You've got to, 
you got to learn your craft and you got to be a very good coach and then you can add this level of sports science to what you're doing you know I've been in a lot of places where they've hired analysts and analytical minds to come in and, and look at sporting performance and that can help you I'm not saying it doesn't help you but I think the money's made is when you're a really good coach you can apply this sports science and, and monitoring information soundly because you, you get to see the athletes every day you work hands on with them every day and then if you've got some information that's sort of steering you in the right direction that's that's going to help a lot because you know you make relationships with athletes you understand that yes this guy's fatigued but he's able to push through it and there might be a time when he's okay well I don't think he can push through it at this point having known him personally so mm-hmm. no doubt about it no doubt about it but yeah man thank you so much this is an awesome talk and we'll be in touch real soon buddy yeah appreciate it alright man have a good one and a huge thank you to today's guest 2016 presenter in Oklahoma football performance manager Sam Code I mean, guys, I really think this was an awesome, you know, view inside the looking glass into what his position actually is. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a direction a lot of people are looking at investigating and, and implementing into their, their departments and programs. So I, I really can't thank Sam enough for just being open and honest with everything he does and how they've built the program and, and are continually uh, evolving, you know, with, with his position down there in, in Norman. And as always, guys, if you like the talk and you enjoyed it, please share it in the social media outlet of your choice. If you have any comments, questions, thoughts, obviously Sam's going to be around. He's going to be here July 15th and 16th for this year's edition of the seminar. Leave them below. Let's, uh, let's get a discussion going. And as always, guys, thank you for being part of this. We'll be back next week with another great guest here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will see you then.